Hey everyone, Dave Putz from JKP Holdings here with Peggy from Emerald Palm uh, Investments. So we're doing this in interview with Peggy today to discuss buying a loan for the first time and some of the struggles and issues that Peggy had um, with going through that entire process. She's not a big investor, um, but she's one of the new investors that bought just a few loans and she can touch upon things that um, she struggled with as a single investor buying loans. So Peggy, thank you for joining us and I appreciate you coming on today. Um, and we have a few questions for you. Hopefully you don't mind, um, but we want to make sure that you are willing to uh, help others through this process. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm, I'm happy to share my experience. Um, if it helps somebody else, that's absolutely great. Awesome. Thanks, Peggy. So can you give me a little bit of background of what, how you got into notes and what took place? I'm sorry. I'm can sorry, you, can you repeat the question? Yep, sure. My internet woke up. I apologize. So can you share a little bit about how you got into notes and what your background was? Gosh, you know, um, that's an interesting question. So um, I'm not even sure how I got into notes. <laughs> I'm like, um, I, I, was, I was listening to something um, and, you know, somebody, somebody mentioned, you know, um, Scott Carson, and I think he was doing a, um, it was a, a workshop that was free to, you know, people, a military, past military, military spouses kind of thing. Um, and so I took that workshop and that was kind of the beginning of, uh, my, my notes journey, if you will. Um, and from there, you know, we, we did the, the note camp 101. Um, which led to, you know, the fast track, several mastermind events after that. Uh, I took some local courses from our local RIA uh, on, on notes. Um, they had far less of an offering, um, you know, but they absolutely did have uh, some workshops. Um, and there were a lot of similarities. Um, there were some differences. And it, it was a little hard to discern which was the right path to travel because of the differences. Um, but it was all still, you know, at that point, I think you're just, you want to be exposed to as much information as possible um, in, in that space. So you want to try and be as educated as you can be. I know there's, um, you know, I, I have heard people say, you know, just jump in, you know, and, and while that's all good, fine and well for people who have a much higher risk tolerance, um, I believe in being educated and, and having an understanding um, of what you're getting into and how you're going to manage it uh, before you do that. Cool. That's awesome. Um, just for where, where, where do you live currently? Where is these REIs that you're going to? Um, so I'm in Delaware. Okay. I'm in Kent County. We only have three counties. We're a small state. Um, so, but our REI has, you know, they, they do service all three counties. So they have a group for Newcastle Kent, cool. and Sussex County. Um, I attend mostly in Newcastle because I live in Newark, um, which is in Newcastle County. Wonderful. So you said like you had some formal trainings, right? Um, how'd you feel without, I'm not bashing any trainings out there. They're all good. Um, so how did you feel that that prepared you for buying a loan? Um, so I like to think that a lot of the information was really hugely beneficial, right? Um, but then I will say early on, um, like, especially after I purchased my first note, um, 
there was a specific structure um, that you were supposed to go through to get to things that you needed. Like if you needed Polaris, you know, to take on, you know, borrower negotiations to try and get that note back up and running or paying or, you know, negotiate a, a payoff or whatever the case would be, you had to go through another person. Like there was a connection. Um, and so very early on, I became really leery of this, what I would call kickback structure that had been put in place. And I actually received a phone call um, kind of reaming me out because I didn't go through that structure. Mm -hmm. I jumped over that That's connection. And, and it wasn't, it actually wasn't the case at all. I didn't jump over the, 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 the connection. I reached out to the connection who never returned my calls or emails. And then I jumped over, gotcha. you know, and made the direct call um, to the to the service provider. Um, and so I, I became leery pretty, pretty early on. Um, and that did create some genuine trust issues um, for me because it is hard to know um, who you can trust and who's just taking advantage of an opportunity to make money essentially at your expense. Um, and as you probably know, this space is very small, right? Um, we're a very small niche of real estate investments. Um, so when you got done with these trainings, did you feel comfortable buying your first loan? I think, I think for the most part I did. And I understood very clearly that, you know, there is potential for loss. Um, and, and so I was, I was okay with that, you know, like I was in a place where I felt confident that, you know, if I needed to take a loss that I could do so without it being, you know, devastating to me personally or financially. Did um, you raise money for this or were you using your I own did personal? not. Okay. I did not. And, and I will say that I think, um, I, for me, you know, I have a, I have a very high level of um, in, uh, respect for someone else's money, right? And I would choose and I would treat their money like I would treat my own money. So if I'm going to jeopardize anything, it's going to be mine first. Um, and then once I feel like I'm in a place where I have really kind of gotten it down and, you know, and, and I can make it work and be lucrative, then I would be willing to take on someone else's money. Now, there was a time, not with my first asset, that was strictly all my money. Uh, my second asset, I did have investors. and. Um, we we took a loss, but I totally owned it, and and I took the loss on my end. And um, you know, in the, in the beginning, our agreement, right? Um, I can't remember what you call it, like a JV agreement. It was like a, a JV agreement. So the agreement had some language in there, which was a little contrary to everything that I had been taught, right? That oh, people just give you their money, and there's you know, there's no tie, there's no promissory to them, there's no personal liability to them. They understand that there's, you know, some level of, of risk that they could lose their money. So you don't take money from people who obviously don't have it to lose. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that philosophy. Um, but, you know, so in this, in this JV agreement, there was some language that said that there was a, a minimum interest rate that I was agreeing to pay back to the JV investors. And then it said, in addition to that, um, there was, um, 
there was a um, a percentage split. So, and that was that was very unusual, you know. In all of the education I had been exposed to, it was it was just you know, hey, you know, I'm not guaranteeing you anything. There's potential that you could make this kind of money on on this kind of a return on the investment, but you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Um, or you just do a split, you know, that whatever it is, less cost, you know, we split it 50-50 or what have you. Um, so in the beginning, I was very nervous about that because I kind of felt like, you know, it is is someone trying to put me in a position that's not healthy for me to be in. But then after everything, we went through the whole process. We had meetings every week and we talked about where we were in the process and what was going on. And um, I felt like I did a really great job of managing the asset from beginning to end. We did take a loss because ultimately the borrower had, it was, it was a duplex. We owned both units in the duplex. Um, but the borrower had literally cut through the adjoining wall in the duplex so that he didn't have to walk out the front door and go over to the other door to get into the other side. So he just cut through the adjoining wall. And the other side had been completely stripped down, down to the studs. Mm. Um, so there was like no value in the other side at all. And I didn't know until we got to the end of it, you know, after we took it back, that the fact that he had cut that hole in the adjoining wall meant that everything then had to be brought up to code. And to do that, I mean, we had gotten some estimates from some vendors and to do that was going to be well over a hundred thousand dollars. And there was just, there was, you know, I didn't have that money, yeah. you know, to, to do that. Um, so we did take the loss, but I, re I respected our JV agreement and I was thankful that that minimum percentage rate was in the agreement um, and that, you know, and I could absorb that, that, that I was comfortable with it. So they did get their 10% uh, in proceeds uh, for lending their, their funds uh, to the, you know, to the, um, to the deal. Yeah. To the deal. Okay. Um, and I do believe that, you know, if you're going to be in this space, you have to be that kind of person. You have to have that kind of integrity about you. So um, with that said, I know that you did a few different training programs out there um, and you found them helpful. Um, would you have bought a deal without training programs or would you recommend anyone doing it? I would never buy a deal without having had some kind of training um, okay. or been exposed to it on some level. No. As a matter of fact, I mean, I think through the training, I was even subjected to um, other types of investing options okay. like subject to investing um which i i have done and i have been much more successful with cool. um what, so, the, what we were talking before camera what what are some of the things that you feel that are missing with trainings out there that uh, investors should learn before getting into the space that's maybe not taught or uh not expressed as gratefully as it should be Right. So, I mean, obviously there is a lot to, to learn and to know. And I, I don't, can't say that I think any one training program captures everything. Um, it's not the intent of the training program to literally take you by the hand and educate you on ev absolutely everything that you could possibly need to know in this space. Um, but you should have some general sense and knowledge um, of, of real estate, um, of money and finance, just in general, um, you know, to, to take on this, this kind of journey. Um, you so that you understand 
what's you happening. The, 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 the recording that one of the things that you wish you learned better was a calculator. Absolutely. So there are so many components to node investing, right? I mean, when you go to the training, um, it kind of it kind of makes it looks a little simplistic in the sense that you know here's your purchase price, you know here's fifteen hundred dollars for foreclosure cost, you know here's a thousand dollars for you know third party negotiator or something like that. Um, that's not what they called it, but you know, and and this is your net, and here's your ROI. It's just not that simple. There is so much more involved, um, and and you need to know what those things are so that you can prepare for them and put something in your spreadsheet to give you a baseline for what you can anticipate your ROI to be given all of those ancillary costs. Would because there's a lot of expense associated with notes. Would you say that's probably the key item that you need to know as an investor that may be missing some courses, but that's the key item? Um, I would say that, that that by far is the most important thing to know and understand because that's where everything goes awry once you've secured your asset um, and made your purchase. Then all of the expenses start kicking in. And if you don't know that to expect them um, and to account for them, um, they, they can have dramatic um, you know, effects on your bottom line so if you bid 55 percent of upb because that sounds good right that's a, a trouble not a good strategy <laughs> <laughs> yeah i agree right um even sometimes being 80 percent of upb can be a, a terrible thing right and i know yeah. i've spoken about that um how'd you handle the due diligence like how'd you go about looking at the loan and, and or the loans what did you do? Did you hire someone? Did you look at Zillow? What did you typically do? So I, I, I certainly did all of the things that I, as an investor, um, could do, right? You know, go out to Google Maps and street view the property and have somebody do a drive by the property, um, get a BPO on the property to kind of get, you know, some estimated value for what's going on in the market you know for a property that has that many numbers of bedrooms and bathrooms and square footage and all that happy stuff um but i also say that you know i mean you do three estimates right your zillow your you know um, e-appraisal and, and all of those things um, against a bpo um but i will say that there's in in this space there's especially in the lower level assets right there's there's just a lot to say for those BPOs and, and those um, online appraisal values, uh, they're just not, they're not enough, you know, <laughs> they're not, they're, they're just, they don't contribute um, the reality that you need to know and understand about what you're going to be dealing with uh, if you make that purchase. So, um, you know, obviously look at other things, you know, like how many, um, how many payments are left, you know, uh, versus, you know, what you can, what you'll get back, you know, if those payments sure. are all made, but you should also, I think, factor in some kind of loss on those payments because most borrowers don't make all the payments, <laughs> yeah. supposed to make, you know. So you mentioned, you know, the part of valuing the property. How about reviewing the collateral and understanding the state timelines? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I have been personally subjected to a, a bit of legal background. Um, so I did understand a lot of that. Um, the, the one component that I never really appreciated 
was the value of an allonge, right? So the assignment, you know, that's pretty understandable. Um, but the allonge was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't really understand, you know, what the value of that is. Um, and, and I actually caught into some trouble because I didn't understand that. Yes. Um, you know, the seller of an asset, you know, said, oh, well, that, that, you know, these documents aren't, aren't needed anymore. So we don't need to provide them to you when you purchase this file. And in fact, according to the legal system, they are still very much required. Yeah. So in, in my most recent note purchase, which I still have, um, I had to go back and pay somebody years later um, to, to go back and, and try and get signatures for allonges and assignments that were missing from the file. But we absolutely used, you know, as part of our due diligence, we used all of the, the providers, the service providers that are out there, the Polaris's, the uh, Richmond Monroe for, you know, file storage, collateral review, um, chain so review. You didn't review your own collateral. You hired outside sources. Yeah, I, I paid somebody to do all that. Yeah. Because I felt like, you know, and, and you should feel like if that's the business that they're in, you yep. know, that you can be pretty confident that you're getting, you know, you're getting good, good advice back. At least better um, than you would review it yourself. <laughs> but yes, but that's not always true. You this know, true. Um, they, people make mistakes. Yes. People are human. And as a result of that, even the best laid plans, you know, are, are subject to go awry. So the next step is to find a servicer. How'd you pick a servicer? Um, for me, it was, to, I really tried to focus on, you know, the less change, the better, right? So I wanted to stay with the current servicer, um, if that was possible. And sometimes it wasn't until after, I mean, even if you ask, you know, will the servicer take the file? And, you know, if you get yes, and then you make the purchase, and then you find out after the fact, oh, well, yeah, servicers changed their, you know, protocol, and they don't do single files anymore. So now I have to go find somebody else, and that created some delays in the transfer time, um, which also then created delays in receiving the payments. Like there were payments I didn't get because the file didn't get transferred. Um, so the so the seller kept those payments, which then affected my ROI. Yeah. And I fought like the dickens to get them back, and there I was not getting them back. So that would be found typically in the purchase sale agreement on what the cutoff date should be if you're aware that there's a cutoff date for there was no cutoff date in the agreement mm. yeah by, by, i mean like it's a lesson learned right we yeah, all learn the hard learned. way <laughs> another key item from the from the talk right you know yeah. it's crucial to get your calculator set up get the numbers in there and make sure you have a due date a cutoff date on your purchase sale agreement you looked at a hundreds of loans i'm sure right if not more how'd you choose the ones you did um, so, I mean, I like to, so I kind of like going into note investing, I kind of had pre, predetermined in my own mind, right, how much financial exposure I wanted to put out into the world in this journey. And so that is essentially the foundation for the choices that I made, uh, along with, you know, anticipated value for the assets, um, along with the projected ROI, again, not having, you know, clearly identified all of those ancillary expenses that were going to come along. And, and the, the one thing I will say I found to be the weakest is that is the expenses, you know, like in all of the training, the expenses are, um, I think, reduced, right? Like they, they're small numbers, 
but they really add up to big numbers once you get your asset and you start working through that process. Um, you know, legal fees can, you know, I mean, attorneys are not cheap. Um, and <laughs> I, I tell people all the time, nobody works for free, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> so they add up quickly. Um, your storage fees add up, you know, and every time you need to touch a document or look at a document or have them send you a document, it's a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks, you know, and I mean, after a while, you're in, you know, a grand or better. Um, so that those fees add up really, really fast, and they do affect your bottom line. Did you pick? So having, a, did you pick a note based on state at all, or location, or based on numbers? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure that I understand the question. Did you pick a note? Did you the notes you chose? Oh, yeah. Did you yes. say I want to buy in Florida, or was a location a big factor in that? The price obviously um, was. So location, so location was um, more important to me, right? Um, you hear all of these other investors out there, you know, they're traveling to Georgia and traveling to Chicago and traveling to all these places to check on their investment. Um, that's another huge expense, right? And I didn't want to have to incur that. So for me, it was more important to to focus on assets that were closer to home. Number one, because they're in, if they're in my state, um, I know I know the laws in my state, so I kind of feel like I have you know a leg up, if you will. Um, or I actually purchased one in Pennsylvania. The other one that I have is uh, in Michigan. Um, so they weren't all in Delaware, but I started with two that were very close in proximity to where I live, so that I could reasonably travel there in a day's time by car, you know, to assess it myself, to deal with property preservation after it had been, you know, taken back, um, you know, and, and things of that nature. So when you pick the Michigan and PA, what were the factors, without getting too detailed, why choose that loan over other loans that you looked at? Was it numbers? Was it value of property? What about those loans attracted you? So um, I think for the most part, they were the closest to me, right? In all of the things that I have reviewed, it okay. was more about proximity. So there aren't a lot of Delaware assets that you can, you can buy in the, in the market. Um, and so that was, that was probably the most attractive thing for me was that this particular asset was very close to me. But how about the deal. Michigan one? How about that Michigan one that you mentioned before? So, so that's after I, you know, I got Yeah. So what <laughs> that was supposed to be a very, um, that was supposed to be like the, the easiest note purchase of my life. <laughs> but why choose that one versus the other one? What, bit, what about that one was attractive for you? Um, because it had, that one was, was a, a note that already had an established history of payment. Gotcha. So Ooh. it was just supposed to be an investment for a return and nothing more, you know, was supposed to be involved in that. Um, and it, <laughs> it has not worked out that way. <laughs> History does not always repeat itself. Yes, it does. So it, what were some of the, I know we talked about the calculator being a huge factor. What other issues um, were you not prepared for? You mentioned cost, fees that you weren't expecting. Um, was any part of the process something you were not expecting? Um, so we'll call it red tape for lack of a better answer, right? Um, it was it was increasingly frustrating. Um, every it just seemed like at every turn there was a hurdle that had to be overcome, and 
you know, you make the phone calls, you have the conversations, then there's, you know, like you have to call, um, one of the things that you, you need to do is you need to understand whether or not there are any fines on the property, are there any judgments on the property? Um, so, you know, working through calling like the local municipalities that the home is located in to find those things out and not being the person with, you know, who owns the document, right yeah. that owns the property creates a conflict because they don't want to just give out information to the general public um so that was that was a hardship you know finding a way to overcome that yeah. um was was a challenge um and then of course you know even like working working with the borrower you know there was this like i think um was it a cfpb says you're not supposed mm -hmm. to have direct contact with the borrower but a lot of people were doing it um and and I did it too, right? You know, <laughs> um, you know. After once once Polaris had kind of established contact, and you know, we had some initial agreements uh, in place that they were going to make some initial payments, um, which I thought were going to put me on the positive end of my ROI, um, ended up killing me because what I didn't know, like I said, you know, trying to call the local authorities to get information. This guy had $1,500 in back utility costs and sewer bills that um, that had to be paid, and it ruined it ruined the whole deal. Um, did you, know, you pull an O and E for it before you bought it? Did you pull an O and E from like? We did, but those things don't show up on there. They do not show up on there. So you have to you have to think outside of the box and make those phone calls and get that information. Um, so I think like one of the things that maybe I would do today, right, that I didn't know or do then, was potentially have my attorney's office use their title company to get that information um, instead of trying to get it yourself and encountering all of that frustration and stress of not being able to get the information you need um, to move the file in a forward direction. When I, we first borrowed loan, we talked before, I ham and hawed. I lost some deals just because I was getting nervous. How many deals did you like that you missed on uh, due to being nervous? How many loans did you miss out on? Do you feel? Um, in evaluating the tape, you could probably say a lot, right? Because there were a lot of deals on the tape, um, and you're supposed to have a strategy for you know for streamlining the ones that you want to focus on. Um, you know, so obviously the ones that are proposed to have greater ROIs um, are the ones that you focus on first and then you kind of work your way down from there. Um, so I, in, in theory, I missed out on a lot, but given my already predetermined budget, you know, for this journey, um, my comfort level with how far away the asset could be from where I was personally located, to manage cost was the second. Um, so I, I really had already identified, you know, where the focus had to be right from the beginning. Um, so I don't feel like I, I felt really excited when I won the assets, right? You know, when I was awarded the assets that I bid on, that was very exciting because it was everything that I had expected. You know, it was close by, it was gonna be manageable. It had an estimated good ROI on it. Um, you know, so I, I would say that I, I didn't I didn't feel like I lost okay. any deal because did you everything feel, 
put a bid in. There was one property that I bid on that they just absolutely refused me. I bid on it over and over and over again, like you, you know, and they just kept coming back and saying, no, 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 no. But there was no, no way to see the house, like the, the front of the house. It wasn't on Google Maps. You couldn't get it anywhere. Um, and I just said, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to invest any more money in a property I can't physically even see a picture of. Yeah. So, um, so I, I don't think I really lost out on any considering those things. Any deals you have nervousness over, like you passed on because you just were nervous and not sure and you just nerves carried at all? I mean, it's a lot well, of that one was for sure, yeah. right? Yeah. That, that property, the one I could not get. Um, so there were two. There was that one um, that I could not get a photo of the house. Okay. And then there was uh, a second one, which was in uh, Danville, Virginia. Looked really super great online, Google images. Um, we actually called a relative who lives nearby nice. and sent the relative uh, on a drive by. And uh, the relative was like, yeah, no, you don't want to do that. That's awesome. So it, it sounds to me as you were, it sounded to me that notes weren't nervousness for you. You didn't have a nerve where you're like, you're hem and hawed, you, you know, analysis by paralysis didn't affect you, which is great. Um, for those who have that analysis of paralysis, would you recommend anything for them or suggest anything for them to help them get through that? So I, I think that that really goes back to understanding an ROI calculator, um, having one prepared, understanding all of the elements that will come into play or could potentially come into play um, and their estimated cost factors. Um, because, I mean, the numbers are the numbers of the numbers, yes. right? Um, they like to say numbers don't lie. And yeah. they don't if you account for them. Yes. I think most people get into trouble because they don't account for those expenses. And, and then that's where things really start to fall apart. We've seen a lot of investors tell us, well, I don't use a calculator. Um, I cringe. <laughs> I hear that. I would too. Yeah. For um, sure. There are certain things I can calculate in my head. Um, but I'd rather not, uh, especially deal with money and deals. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to, you know, with any of these deals, what were the property values of the deals you did buy? Well, give me the first two you bought. Then what was the value of the property? Um, what, what you bought first? Gosh, um, I'm trying to think. I know the first one that I bought, um, I purchased it for just over $20,000. It was anticipated to have, um, I think, a thirty-plus thousand-dollar value, um, and then there were some inside. There were some investors who also knew the area who were like, "Oh yeah, wow, that's going to go for a hundred thousand dollars," and blah 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 blah, you know. And of course, that turned out not to be the case. <laughs> um, after I took it back. Uh, it, it, it's in a, it's in a, a neighborhood that is, or literally it's located right next to a very hot zone in the city. Um, so that was a deterrent, right? Um, it was, it was fine for investors who do, um, like section eight investments in the city, um, and keep those properties for rentals. I did end up selling it, but, um, I, I took, I took like a $10,000 loss on it when I sold it. Um, because it was, you know, because of all the cost, not because of the purchase price. The purchase price was fine. Um, I sold it for twenty nine thousand dollars, but I, like I had so much money 
you know, invested in the expense of taking it back and those liens and utility um, charges that were not known on the front end um, just really ate it all up. Yeah. Amazing, amazing information. Um, it, it, it's always good to hear different stories um, from a different perspective. Um, you're not a hedge fund, you're not a private equity fund, um, your investor got involved um, and of interest. Um, and in this field is confusing and it's hard to get into because of the confusion. Trains do give you some help, um, but I do agree. Um, you gotta trust your numbers and trust your due diligence. Um, yeah. And that's scary stuff. So, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I would I add um, sharing with us. Oh, I'm sorry. I appreciate you sharing this information oh, with us too. Absolutely. I, I think that one other thing that I think has the most value aside from the ROI understanding and the calculator and the expenses and, and proposed things that could come into play and affect you sure. financially. That's like by far the most important, but second important is just know yourself, right? Know mm. your tolerance for the different types of um, situations that you're going to have to deal with. Um, you know, are, are you, are you able to deal with, you know, complicated people, complicated borrowers, um, because you are going to find yourself in, you know, very rigid, you know, relations um, with them in, in dealing, working through that whole process. So do you have the heart for that? Do you have the stomach for that? Uh, for taking back a property, you know, from, from someone um, and, and, and for dealing with the state of that property mm -hmm. once you have it. Um, because it could be anything. I mean, I kind of feel like my experiences were a little on the lighter end of the conditions that, you know, have been experienced in this space with the lower level assets than others that have shared that I'm aware of. I mean, everything from human waste to, you know, just being gutted and, yep. you know, not and needing to be completely rehabbed and brought up to code, which would be a very expensive thing to do. Um, so if you can get somebody inside that property before you purchase it, um, that's, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. Um, most, many people probably cannot, um, you know, because it requires someone who's willing to go in there and say, Hey, I work for the insurance company and we're here to evaluate your home, you know, <laughs> for the new buyer. Um, even if they don't work for the insurance company, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's a legal side of it. Yeah. Well, Peggy, I really appreciate you coming on with me, um, sharing some of your insights, sharing your experience from a different perspective than we are used to. Um, I'm glad you jumped into this opportunity with us. Um, and uh, we look forward to peeking again with you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate the ability to share. I hope it's helpful to someone in some way. Um, and thank you for having me. Wonderful. Thank you.